Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that'll help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. And today I have a local leader, Allison Edwards, who is on the podcast from OC Human Relations. And I'm so honored that she has chosen to take a conversation with me today because she's been posting really important messages on her LinkedIn and just making really important decisions within her own organization that are internally mission aligned. And so I'm so excited for this conversation and to dive deeper into some of these topics. But before we get started, welcome, Allison. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And I would love to know a little bit more about your experience and your experience as a nonprofit leader. Like what led you to where you are today? Hmm. Well, you know, I have worked at OC Human Relations for it's getting close to 25 years. So that's been where I've spent my professional career, but I'm an Orange County native. So I grew up here, you know, not so sure that there were a lot of people who cared about the same issues that I cared about. And once I got a little bit older and, you know, traveled a little bit farther out of my home base and my comfort zone, of course, I found there are so many people, especially in the nonprofit sector, that are really interested, right, in creating a better situation for the people of Orange County, whether that's making sure folks are housed and fed and cared for, or the kind of work that we do really about bringing diverse people together to confront issues like racism and sexism and homophobia. So I would say, you know, when I found OC Human Relations, it was kind of like finding my home. Even though I lived here the vast majority of my life, it just became my home base. And I had great mentors and colleagues along the way who helped me move through different roles in the organization and ultimately, you know, into leadership. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Can you share a little bit more about the mission of OC Human Relations and what are some of the key things that you do for the community of Orange County? Yeah, so our, you know, historically our our work has been about bringing diverse people together to foster mutual understanding. We're also really trying to evolve our work to think more deeply about what equity and belonging look like. And that really means, you know, how are we co-creating with folks? So one of the ways that you can feel like you belong in a space, right? As if you helped create it. Like most people feel like they belong at a party that they helped put on, you know? So as we move into that kind of era of work, it's informed how we do what we do. But the way that plays out in programs is we have a few major buckets of work, but to try to be somewhat succinct, a lot of our school is, or a lot of our work is done among youth in schools. So we have programs to create safe and respectful schools. We have 
a restorative justice program that's offering alternatives to suspension, which is, you know, essentially a way to keep young people in school, in class, prevent push out and drop out and interrupt the school to prison pipeline. We do a bunch of work around conflict resolution, whether that means training mediators, mediating cases, or even responding to community crisis and conflict. And then we also partner with the County of Orange to do anti-hate work. So that means tracking and reporting hate activity for the County of Orange, publishing an annual report, but of course, working with organizations across the county to prevent hate, to make sure that we're educating people on how to get resources if they've been targeted by hate, how to stay safe. As you, I'm sure you know, in the last couple of years, we've had particular, we've had a five or six year rise in hate activity in the county, but in during COVID, we had a huge surge of anti-Asian hate. So really making sure in those times when people are feeling like, I can't even leave my house, you know, how can we reach out? How can we support? And then more recently as well, in after the murder of George Floyd, we got something like 120 calls from different organizations saying like, we want to talk about equity. We want to talk about race. We want to figure out how do we support our staff who's just really feeling so harmed by seeing this video, you know, over and over on the news. So we started responding right away and providing dialogue space and places just sometimes for people to kind of like connect and heal. And then that leveraged into lots of training. So we also offer a lot of training on how can organizations move the needle on equity How can we just, you know, create great spaces to work, like places where we can have a hard time, but we can still show up and know that people will support us. Not everyone wants to bring their whole self to work, but if you do, like you want to have that workplace where you know that's not going to be held against you, where you can celebrate your culture and bring your traditions into work and, you know, just know that you'll be accepted in those spaces and and that people will work to minimize any barriers that you may have. That's a lot of what we've been doing lately. And a lot of our work is with other nonprofits. And so I feel like we're kind of building a local culture around what workplaces can be. And I guess trying to push back a little bit against, you know, the nonprofit, you know, in our history, so many of us in nonprofit are kind of like you wear that badge of working more hours than you're paid for and (laughs) all those things. So you know, I think we have to think about our own well-being, right? If we're if we are to be the change makers in the county. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all the wonderful work that you're doing. And I love that you're, you know, you started and evolved out of this process is really pro- training other organizations how to provide more equity and belonging within their own organizations. How have you navigated that as a a leader of an organization. I know it probably comes with its challenges, but what have you done personally and within your organization to navigate some of those challenges? Because I feel like sometimes with organizations, it's so easy for us to focus on our community that we're serving that we forget that our staff are a part of that community. And if we're stuck with our mission, we need to serve our staff as well. So can you give some insight into maybe some of your own personal experience navigating that?
Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfeld's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people, whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member. This program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Gershfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities' curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF, HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfeld is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code LEADWITHHEART to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. Head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. Yeah, love to. It's definitely, I'll say up front, it's definitely a work in progress. And I would also say up front, anything that the organization has done, even though it might be seen as, you know, led by me, it's just because that's where I am on the org chart. I I would say every time we've made progress, it's because folks have spoken up. They've been courageous. They've decided to take a risk and point out something that we could do better. Having said that, I think one of the first things that we do is we just assume that these things are part of our organization. In other words, we know that there's bias. We know that there's inequities because we're human, not because we're bad people or, you know, we're malicious, but just let's assume that things like bias show up and let's find where they are. So I think we led with right off the bat with just that openness that and humility. Like if we're telling everyone in our implicit bias trainings that everyone has bias, That means us too. We're part of everyone. So instead of hand-wringing over like, oh, what if people see where that happens? We're like, let's just shine a light on it where we can. And we try to do a lot to make sure that everyone has that opportunity, right? It's not limited to just what I can see from my position, but that we engage in, in enough sessions with staff that we help to uncover those things together. And then we spend a lot of time like trying to think about what does power sharing mean in the organization? We have a management staff. There's like six or seven of us. A lot of our decision-making is actually done in process together. We often 
like, okay, we get staff input, we get board input. Okay. We get management input. How can we put that together in a way that can make the most people feel seen and heard in the process? And we try to be really clear when we're asking people like, Hey, this is a decision-making process or it's a feedback process and we're not making a decision today. We just need your feedback. So we kind of started with those internal pieces of culture, you know, and trying to kind of analyze how they operate. I know that sounds a little vague, but I felt like we had to kind of come at it with a framework. And some of the the framework was like, we wanted shared decision-making, even though, and I'll be honest, it's really time-consuming. It's Mm -hmm. a lot easier to be like, oh, I'll just look at the spreadsheet and make a decision. It takes a lot of time. Some people find it frustrating. There are times when (laughs) I think some people say, okay, we appreciate how much we've participated in power sharing. And here are the decisions that we just want you to make because we feel seen and heard and we can move on. And we were already kind of working through some of that when, when COVID hit. And COVID was such a good teacher in that people were working at home. And I would say, generally speaking, it felt like they were doing as much or more than they were doing in the office. So, you know, we had to really sit on that and go, gosh, we need to trust people a lot because they are really coming through in a, in a tough time. And they've continued to be productive in that same space. So learning that we could trust folks meant we can give a lot of flexibility. It meant we can let people kind of design how they want to move forward. And we orient our role as an organization as our role is to minimize barriers for folks. We understand that any organization is always going to be more powerful than just one person. So if we can acknowledge that, then we can say, okay, if you're struggling, if you're not successful in your role, is that on you or is that on us? Like what are what are the barriers we're putting up? How are we providing the right support? So we want to make sure that, yeah, folks should be accountable for getting their responsibilities completed, but we need to make sure we're not playing a role in, in being part of the problem. So, but as COVID wore on, of course, everyone was tired and there was still a lot of uncertainty. So we started again thinking, well, what would it be like to be more supportive? So we did little things like, hey, everyone, like here's stipends in case you need better internet at home, because that's a big factor in your job. Here's stipends for all the time that you're now using your phone that you weren't before. And then we started moving from there, like what else could be better? And as we listened to staff, it was clear that, you know, folks were burnt out and we all know what that Zoom fatigue was like. So that's when we proposed more time off. I think that was about a year and a half ago. We worked with the board to develop a policy and and we have you know, pretty good paid holidays and whatnot already. I think we have something like 16 paid holidays to begin with. Not to mention when you start out, you have your sick time and your two weeks off that can matriculate into up to four weeks. But we we just felt like people were not feeling rejuvenated. And so we gave everyone an extra two weeks off. We All that we asked was that you take it in one chunk and that you totally unplug from work. So there was like a long running joke about, I'll change your password and I'll catch you logging in. And we actually did have to tell some folks like, I can see that, you know, you're responding to emails. I really want you to take this time off. And 
So we just completed the first year of that as a pilot program. And not only did people report, you know, that it helped, but the people on their teams reported that it was manageable to have people take that time off. So we actually think we'll even look to increase that maybe over time. We also decided to increase family leave. We offer our own family leave now, four weeks of paid leave that you can take whenever. You can take it concurrent. If you're on maternity leave, concurrent with that, or you can tack it on to the end or just to take care of a family member. But we felt like it was important that people can have more time, more flexibility to do those things that matter most. You know, all those things at the end of your life, you're, you know, you're going to be like, I'm glad I was there for that time and not worried about work. But then as COVID pretended like it was going to fade into the background, of course, inflation went way up. And we had been trying to keep pace with pay through a calculator that MIT puts out, but I don't think it was the best data. And then we heard from OCBC that it's like, oh man, you got to make $75,000 to rent a median one bedroom apartment in Orange County. And I don't know about you, Haley, but I don't see any entry-level nonprofit job listings at 75,000. I wish I did, (laughs) but we aren't there. I don't think most folks are there, but we just decided we got to get there. So earlier this year, we made a commitment to our staff that as fast as we can, we will get everyone up to $75,000. Certainly we have people make that much, but these would be like our starting positions, you know, starting at that rate. And so we're not going to get there this year, probably not even next, but we've already made moves. We put aside more funding this year than we ever have to do those increases. And so all of our staff, I think, will be for sure noticing that increase this year. For some people, it will be, I think, well over a 10% increase just in the these um in about six months, you know, so we just decided that's what we need to do. If we want people to work here, they have to have the choice to live here. And so you may have seen me post this online, but it was like, I shared that we had made this commitment to get everyone up to $75,000. And within a week, we got an anonymous $100,000 donation, which I took as affirmation that we, we were making good choices. I don't know that for sure, but I'm choosing to believe that. (laughs) Those are a few of the things that we're working on right now. And I'll just, I know I've talked a lot, but the last thing I'll share is we actually just all went through our own trainings too. So as a staff, we went through a five-part series that we designed to talk about things like bias and power and privilege. And we did our own, you know, anonymous feedback about, well, how are you feeling about your place in this organization? Where are you on this spectrum? And how does your experience within our organization compare to your experience broadly in the world? You know, are we are we doing better? Or are we doing worse? That was really eye-opening. It's given us a lot of opportunities to talk more about the ways that we can improve. So it just seems like we have this calling to do important work, but I just want to make sure that folks don't have to survive on that calling alone. Yeah, definitely. And it's amazing that you have really embodied that within your like in your mission internally and really created that culture of psychological safety and trust. And 
you know, really listening to your organization at a director level. I don't even think I made $75,000. So to make that a starting salary is amazing that you're doing that. Can you, before we jump into the fundraising side of how you're getting funders on board with all of this, because that's my fundraising brain, but I also want to tap into my EMC brain, which is all about emotional connection and building psychological safety and trust within an organization. Because you said earlier, some people don't want to bring their whole selves, but the fact is the George Floyd murders happen. It impacted everyone in a different way. And it's hard to leave that at home. We're conditioned to believe that you walk in the door of your workplace and you leave whatever happened outside. But when things, traumatic things like that happen or, you know, family events happen, it's hard to not think about that. And it can also impact your performance when you can't bring your whole self or you can't have that safety enough to share your fears and your needs. So what, like, I would love to know more about how you created that culture of psychological. And like you said before, it's kind of a whole organization thing, but it definitely starts with leadership. So how within your leadership have you taken that vulnerable step to create that culture of psychological safety and trust? There's a lot of different things I think that we do well, but I will say you could ask any one of our employees and some would say, I totally feel that psychological safety. And others would say, maybe not. So I, I also don't want to claim that like, hey, we found it. We found the magic wand. You know, we're, I think we try to be really transparent that that's what, where we want to be. And that we want to know where we're falling short. But, you know, anyone in the org can kind of initiate those type of things. So when things like the murder of George Floyd happen or the shootings in Atlanta in 2021, I think that was, we often just initiate space for people to come and process. We design a circle dialogue. But, you know, it's often not me, right? It's the other people on the team that say, I think we should provide space. This feels like it's a big deal. I just wanted people to know that they can come together. There's been other times where we communicate messages out to our staff. Like, we see what's happening in the world today. And we know you might need to work a little slower today. You may need to take longer to get back to those emails. You may need to cry or not cry, right? Like, I'm not going to prescribe for you what your coping strategies may be, but just know that you have our support and our permission to get the su- that, that support today. And if you don't know where to get it, please know that your colleagues are here also to support you. And here's the different ways that you, you can find us. I mean, that's part of it is just consistently communicating that that's, you know, and then of course, like you have to have people that take a risk and say, like, I trust that Ali was genuine when she said that. So I'm going to speak up or I am going to take my time. That's hard because no matter how open you try to be, how transparent you try to be, how actively you try to create that culture, we are at the end of the day, the management, there is a power dynamic. And if no matter what, if somebody speaks up, they're taking a risk. I happen to believe that they're not in that I am ready to accept that feedback. But I can't prove that unless somebody takes a risk. So we also have to, I think, be really appreciative of those who will step into that and say, I'm going to give this feedback. We try to provide lots of ways to do it. But, you know, the staff that does this work day in, day out, like the folks that were running dialogues and doing restorative justice work, 
and approaching people who have been harmed by hate and violence, they really know how to create an atmosphere that I would never be able to create on my own. It's like when you step into our training and the first thing that they say to you is, thanks for being here. We're going to give you another five minutes just to like come into the space. You might have hurried to be here. You know how many of us go like Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. And they provide that space or they's like, okay, let's do a grounding activity. Like, let's go through your senses to just make sure you feel like you can be present. They're quick to say, if today is not a camera on day for you, then don't make it a camera on day. There's just lots of ways where it's like you, they consistently give permission to put your needs into the mix and not always be in that place of sacrifice, you know? Because we all have to do that in our roles from time to time. But I think it's just that consistency of being seen and being heard. And it's not just things like, I see you or like, thanks for being, but like, but really take that time. And I mean, we have even one person that was able to take in June, we had someone that took a full month off. Right now we have someone taking a full six weeks, but there's also the willingness of colleagues that, want to be able to do that too, to say like, you know, we will schedule in a way that works, this works for you. We want to support each other in that process. So I think it it does start with leadership, but part of my leadership is like getting out of the way so other people can create the spaces that they need and they think that their colleagues need to be successful. And I mess it up all the time. Like I forget all the time. I've worked there for so long I forget, like I'm the CEO, no matter where I go. I like, oh, I just wanted to hang out with everyone. Like I can't always do that. I have to be cognizant, right? Of the power and influence I have. And I'm I'm not all the time. And I think we've created an atmosphere where folks also know they can tell me that when that happens. I'm sure they don't every time, but I do have folks that will be like, yeah, you didn't show up how we needed you in that situation. Like, <laughs> Can we debrief this? Like, can we can we talk about how we're going to move forward? And thank goodness, because at this point, they're much more regular practitioners of all these things than I am, you know? So they're often leading me. I mean, even a lot of the conversations we had about increasing pay were people saying, you know, I want to stay, but I, I don't know if I can afford Orange County, you know? So it's like, thank goodness, they do take that risk and they speak up and we try our very best to be like, yeah. We hear it, we're acting on it. I don't know if that was specific enough, but <laughs> that's what Yeah, that was amazing. And you're so strong and courageous for being willing and being open to that feedback. And I love what you said about, you know, really helping people ground into the exercise, but and like the training, but also like making sure people feel seen and heard because part of emotional connection in the process that I help train organizations on is like, Helping people feel like they're seen and they're heard and that you're there for them, you hear them. And the moment you feel like no one's there for you, that's when you become disconnected. And I love that you are providing that space where people can speak up and kind of provide some of that feedback where they feel safe enough because vulnerability is the most courageous thing that you could do. I know that it can, it's often deemed as weakness, but I think, I think it's Brene Brown who says it's the most courageous thing that you can do to step into a room and be vulnerable. But I want to transition a little bit into funding. So obviously I'm a fundraiser, so I like to know more about, you know, 
when you talk about sabbaticals and you talk about funding overhead, quote unquote, when I think that term needs to be removed from people's vocabulary. But how have you navigated? And I know I had a conversation with your team on talking back in August through AFP about talking about funder and nonprofit relationships in this topic, which they provided a lot of good insight on how to navigate those conversations. But can you give a little bit more insight into how not only have you navigated conversations with foundations about, you know, the importance of diversity, equity, and belonging, but also like the topic of we're going to provide our staff a baseline of $75,000 and we need your help to do so. Mm -hmm. For us, I think that conversation is being authentic to, you know, the work that we do externally and being authentic to it internally. So, you know, when we look at, for example, the organization is majority persons of color. So if you do a, a salary study and you compare within the organization, you can say like, oh, folks from this group are advancing at the same rate as others. And, and that's not hard for us to do. But then we have to look externally too and say, well, what's happening in the rest of the world? Are we you know, pursuing equity, not just within, but can we, we need to compare to the, the workforce as a whole? Because we could very easily say, we're an equally bad employer to all the people inside our organization if we're not doing well, right? It's not enough just to say equal. You have to be looking at, are you treating people equitably and good, right? It's not enough to just be equally bad to everyone. That's not really equality or not what we had hoped for. So I think when we're talking to funders, it's like, hey, if we're really saying we're pursuing this, we're going to pursue it at all levels. The other piece of that, and I said it earlier, that I think is compelling is how can we tell people to serve the people of Orange County and not be able to live here? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a point of pride at this point for the org, right? And I think many are struggling with that same thing. We have always had people that have driven into Orange County to work for us, but that was often by choice. Now it's not, right? So we need to, we just need to be accountable. And honestly, I just think like for me at this point, it's just the right thing to do. And just being transparent about where we want to head. I mean, I haven't had anyone say something like, no, you shouldn't pay people like that. I think most people are in the same boat as I am, frankly, of like, well, how are you going to get that done? And I think we're just going to get it done with with a lot of faith at this point. But we have to also be transparent as we look at our revenue generating services, you know. So the unfortunate thing is, you know, the cost of everything is rising and so is ours. So we have to be able to make the case too that the services that we provide are worth paying for at that rate. And so we have to do that in relationship with organizations and schools and cities and make sure that they understand our rationale. But for the most part, because we're so relational, the people that work with us won't just be like, oh, I work with OC Human Relations. It's like they know like, oh, I work with SEMA or I work with April or, you know, I work with Iggy and they know the power of those individuals to be effective in their role. So it's not a conversation about nameless and faceless employees, right? It's like this person has made an impact in my community and I want to, I want to have them back and, and we're able to 
have those conversations. They're just at the start, you know, they're uncomfortable. We keep having to do the like, we can do hard things, like we can get through the discomfort of it. And like so many of us who are mission oriented, it's about making impact. And you just have to keep to that. Like, this is how we can make our best impact. And, you know, ultimately, if we want to have good workplaces, we got to be a good workplace too. And we count ourselves as part of the change in that way. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know I met Seema back in August of 2022. And yeah, she is a powerhouse. And when you're in her presence, you just feel like you belong. You feel like you deserve to be there. And she talked a little bit about metrics and I don't always, when we had, when we started out this conversation of, you know, the topic of belonging and the topic of DEI between funders and nonprofits, we didn't always know if metrics was like the right term to use, but as you're navigating funders and talking about impact, how are you communicating to funders, like the change that you're seeing? You know, you've seen internally, if someone takes a sabbatical, they're coming back, I'm assuming more rejuvenated and like ready to get back at it. And I don't know how you would quantify that, but are there certain things that you're tracking to like communicate to funders? Is that even the right question to be asking? I do think if we look internally, yeah, I mean, we're we're always looking at, you know, all the initials, the D, the E, the I, the B. So are we do we reflect the communities we're serving and our staffing? Is there a reason that we are or are not in any particular areas? So we did, you know, always keep an eye on that. When we did this pilot program for these two weeks off, we did survey everyone like, was it worth the time off? I mean, we have all come back and been punished for taking a good vacation, right? The first yeah. you open your inbox, you're like, Oh, I kind of wish I hadn't taken all that time because now I just feel instantly overwhelmed and frazzled. So we wanted to make sure like, yes, not only did you, was your time good, but how did you feel when you got back? So we did a quite a, a bit of surveying on that pilot around, was this the kind of intervention that works, right? Because there's other ways you can support well-being. We made changes to our, we surveyed folks on changes to our benefits package, right? Because we do things like we cover 100% of employees, but we cover 60% of dependents. We contribute to your 401k, even if you don't. We have all, you know, all those pieces of the benefits package, but like, is it working for you? Do you care about that if you go to the doctor and the copay is not working? Does it matter that we did all that? So there's a lot of, you know, looking inward to see how people are feeling. And I'll be honest, we like, we thought we were not going to be affected by a lot of turnover when other people were like, oh, we can't keep anyone. And we were like, oh, we're good. But like six months later, we were like, oh, there it is. <laughs> so even looking at, okay, we had some turnover. Are people staying now that we can provide this workspace and and we're making commitments to pay more? So even in, in, in the trainings, when we did our own, when we took our own training, right, we got some data back from that. So it's not all easily quantified. You know, but I think for the staff, you know, I hope that they're seeing that we're trying to pay attention and kind of gauge if this is moving things forward for them. I would say it's still pretty early to be able to even say to funders, you know, this is the impact. And the truth is, like, if everything went exactly the same in 2021 as it did in 2020, 
2022, but in 2022, everyone had an extra two weeks off. I would be totally fine with that. You know, I don't necessarily need it to be like, oh, and then it had this huge impact on, we had all these successes that came from it. It's like, if people were able to, in what we needed to do to get done, and they got this extra time off, like, I'm happy for that. I don't need to show in my mind to anyone, ooh, all these, you know, here's why you want to give us more money because we we got this much more out of people when we gave them time off. It's really more, you know, we probably should have already been doing this. <laughs> so let's kind of honor people the best that we can for the contributions that they're making. So it's like, it's an improvement in the organization, but not necessarily that needs to be related to productivity. Certainly like, People did ask questions like, are you going to lose grants or are funders going to be mad at you if they're giving you a donation? Are they going to feel like, well, I'm, you know, you're giving these people like too much time off. Where's my money going? Some people might have thought that, but the only feedback that made it to me, which means people took the time to call me or email me, was I really applaud that you're doing this. I'm glad you're thinking about you know, employing people this way. I only got good feedback. Now, like I said, maybe some people weren't so mad that they took the time to write an email, but, you know, we just wanted to kind of like decouple this from like, oh, high producers get time off or whatever. You know, it's really more like, here's how we think we can put humans first in the midst of, you know, trying to create a more, equitable world or addressing what can feel like insurmountable issues like we can still put humans first and center the humanity of our colleagues in the process yes i love that all of my conversations come down to people first and yes i love what you shared so you shared a lot of information and you know that that pertains to your organization and the organizations that you're working with through your trainings if someone's listening to this podcast and is like questioning like, okay, how do I take this back to my organization? What is one or two things that I can do? Because it's a lot of work. And like you said, it's an ever evolving process. The work is not done. And it takes a lot of time to be able to listen and go through the information. But it's important to do so. And it's important, I think, now more than ever to make that change and that shift, especially among the Great Resignation. So what are one or two things that people could like go back and talk to their leadership or if they're in that leadership position, like internally start to think about to, you know, really implement some change? Yeah, I think people really underestimate the value of listening. I think there's lots of opportunities to go back to folks and start with the people who you think will talk to you. You know, how else could... And sometimes that's not even like, asking the other management, like, you know, what do we need to do? But what are you hearing? How could we structure something where people, you know, could give feedback? I mean, we do lots of anonymous feedback on things, listening circles and listening sessions of what's working, what what could we change? A few years back, we even did a a whole session on like, well, how do you want to be approached if there's conflict? What does that feel like? What What if it's your colleague, but what if it's your boss? And just Kind of talked through some agreements on, you know, what that could look like. I think when people know that that, that they want to address issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, there's often for so many of us a fear of like, I'm not sure how to talk about these issues. I'm scared. I don't want to hurt someone or create more harm. But 
I feel like that, you know, you don't have that first conversation of like, hey, let's, hey, everyone, let's talk about race and racism. Oftentimes it's like, how are we communicating? Do you feel like we communicate well in our organization? Do you trust the people that you work with? So I think you can start with some of those basic building blocks, really. And for organizations like ours, like we're pretty well spread out geographically. We have a number of people whose primary work site is a school or a courtroom, not our office. So even just making sure the more time that we have to engage with people and show that we actually understand what their job is day to day matters as well. You know, like it's hard to go out and work solo at a school site and have the task of like, hey, can you change the culture of the school while you're here? That's a lot, you know? And if we don't really understand what that looks like day to day, we can't support people. So I think it's a lot. It starts a lot with just, are you connecting with your team? Are you connecting with your staff? Are you listening to what their challenges are? And because many of us as managers know how to respond to basic challenges that work in the workplace, right? And I think that's just like a sign of good faith and goodwill that you're willing to take action. And then as you develop that rapport, then you can move into like, you know, well, what is it like to be you in this organization or you or you? Like, where are the places that you see some of these issues showing up? So no surprise that the person from human relations is like, just build some human relationships. (laughs) I think that that's, you know, you have to have that foundation of trust before you can move forward. because. People that, you know, have had these experiences with discrimination or exclusion. I mean, we can probably all think back to a time that we were excluded, you know, go back to being a kid, right? Everyone has painful memories like that. But many people are still experiencing that as adults, right? They're not just playground memories. They're things that are happening day in, day out. And to ask someone to bring that into space, to retell that story, to bring that emotion that's a big ask. So taking those steps to build trust, to show your own vulnerability, like you said, Haley, I think it's like it's actually at those simple building blocks that we can get started. And as we continue to offer space for people to tell us their needs, you know, hopefully over time, they too will feel like they can take a risk and say, you know, I do see bias in this organization. And I, I'm going to, you know, I, I, maybe I won't tell the CEO, but I'll tell my manager and I'll trust that they'll communicate some of this up. But I don't know. That's what occurs to me. There's lots of ways to do it right, though, you know, so I'm not trying to be prescriptive. But I just think, you know, like when we made that commitment to pay everyone, I honestly, it was like, I don't have a great plan for this. But if I don't put it out there, it'll be really easy to never put it out there, you know, and to go, well, I'm going to work on it. So sometimes you just got to put it out there and your intent, right? Like I said, don't say like, come talk to me about race, but just like, hey, I would like to know how I can make your job better. Let's talk about that. And over time, that trust will grow. Wow, I love that. That's such a good, just the power of listening and that active listening and really tuning into that muscle is so important. And like we said before, building that element of trust, people feeling like you're here for them, that you hear them, that it is that safe place that they can share, obviously, as much as they want to share. But yeah, I love that. So 
you know, obviously OC Human Relations offers a lot of trainings on this topic. Where else can people find you for the work of the organization? Sure. I mean, probably the best place is just going to our website, OCHumanRelations.org. You can kind of see the complement of things that we're doing. We really do like to work closely with organizations. So you can see some of the, the templates of what our training looks like. But we hope that if you want to work with us, that we can spend time really, you know, knowing the organization individually and making sure that what we're offering is going to feel right to your team. Because you can come into this work at lots of different levels. Some are raring to go. Some are like, oh man, we know we need to do something. But there's a lot of skepticism on the staff, you know? So we we want people to feel like this work is for everyone. And you can come in where you're at. And it, there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. Like the staff has really adopted instead of like, we can't always guarantee a safe space, but we can guarantee a brave space where you can come in and take a risk and we'll support you through that. Maybe there's a bump in the road and we can talk through like how we can improve, how we can do better or why that phrase or that comment was was hurtful to some and maybe not to others. So we just want to kind of like demystify that notion that you have to be perfect that you have to be up on every term to want to do work on belonging. So we hope even our own process of welcoming people into belonging work creates a sense of belonging, right? So mm-hmm. I hope, you know, web check out the website, but just as you're there, just know, you know, the process for us is pretty personal to be able to engage. So we'd love to be able to do that with lots of folks here. We love supporting our nonprofit partners, but we work with schools and for-profit and lots of different entities. So yeah, go check it out. (laughs) Well, we'll link to the website in the show notes. And thank you so much, Allison, for being here today and sharing just the process that you've gone through in your own organization. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share, Haley. If you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support. And together we can build a better community and world.